Welcome to Highest Aspirations, an education podcast that explores the world of English language learners and how we can make a greater impact. Each episode, we bring you voices from across the ELL community to discuss the issues that matter most. Highest Aspirations is brought to you by Elevation Education, your partner for ELL program management and instruction. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Highest Aspirations. I'm your host, Steve Sophronis. I'm really excited about this episode as we were able to interview both Dr. Russell and Dr. Von Esch in one conversation about the importance of EL teacher leadership in schools. Hope you enjoy the episode. Let us know how we're doing, as always, by providing us feedback on our website or leaving us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Let's get the show started. How do schools go about identifying and developing EL teacher leaders to help other educators work with culturally and linguistically diverse students? What strategies have been most successful in developing these EL teacher leaders? How do schools create a culture in which EL teachers can lead the way and serve as experts in their field? We discuss these questions as they relate to pre-service programs, professional development, co-teaching models, and more in our conversation with Dr. Felice Russell from Ithaca University and Dr. Kerry Sue Von Esch from Seattle University. Dr. Russell is an assistant professor in the Department of Education at Ithaca College. A former middle and high school English language arts, social studies, and ENL teacher, she teaches instruction of English learners and teacher preparation. Dr. Von Esch is an assistant professor in the College of Education at Seattle University. She is a former K-12 ESOL teacher and Spanish bilingual classroom teacher. She taught in public schools in Maryland and San Francisco for eight years before moving to Seattle to pursue her PhD at the University of Washington. Let's get started. Okay, welcome Dr. Russell and Dr. Von Esch. Could you start by telling us a little bit about what started your interest in researching strategies to maximize impact on English language learners? Dr. Russell, could you start with that? Sure. So back when I was pursuing my master's in teaching and getting certified to go into the K-12 classroom, I never had a class on teaching English language learners, and I don't even remember the topic of language being um, spoken about. And I was getting certified in social studies and language arts, so humanities, you would think that would be a part of it. Um, So that was something that when I went into the classroom, I recognized was a need in the school. So I was working in middle schools and high schools as a language arts and social studies teacher. And um, as I was making the shift into higher education, one of my main questions going in was how do we think about supporting English language learners? Specifically at the time, I was interested in the secondary classroom because the content demands are so high. And as a content-specific teacher, we were being asked to up our expectations in terms of new standards that were being introduced and end of year tests. And I just recognized that I was not doing my students the service they needed in terms of scaffolding and support. So I started working on my ESOL endorsement um, out in Oregon at the time. But those questions kept in the forefront of my mind as I went and pursued my doctoral studies. And it's been something that I've been continuing to pursue, especially from that angle of general education classroom teacher focused on meeting the needs of English language learners as they're out in the mainstream classrooms doing high-level content and having access with um, proficient English speakers. 
Great. And Dr. Vanesh, how about you? Is it a similar journey or are there differences? Um, well, it's a similar, it's a both and. <laughs> um, I uh, am a former, um, what they call an ELL, English language learner um, teacher and a former classroom bilingual teacher, but on the elementary side. And um, my, when I became a teacher, I was just going to be a teacher that was my um, that was my commitment. And then um, as a teacher, there were all of these educational policies that um, started being handed down to us. So I taught, um, mo I taught in the DC area and also um, in the San Francisco Bay area at the time of Proposition 229, which eliminated all bilingual education. And so um, all of these policies were being handed down. I didn't agree with them. They weren't working for for my students, um, it wasn't um, what was going to serve them best. So that's when I decided to go back to school to get my PhD because I thought people listened to people with PhDs. Um, so I really became interested in it, uh, interested in um, how to support teachers in developing their own expertise and working with their culturally and linguistically diverse students. Um, so that's, that, that's kind of my route. Great. So, I mean, what I take from that, at least from commonalities, is that you both saw a need um, and that need, you probably had a difficult time sort of approaching the root of it from your the work that you were doing at the time in the classroom. And so you both took that step to um, be change makers. And I think, you know, based on the article that I read um, about teacher leadership to support English language learners, um, you're, you're certainly doing that. Um, so I, I would like to pose this question to Dr. Russell. What was your main goal in publishing that piece, Teacher Leadership to Support English Language Learners? Um, well, the main goal was to take some of the research that, my, that I was working on and that I knew that Dr. Vanesh was working on and get it into the hands of people who actually are in schools making decisions on a day-to-day -day basis that actually impact students. Um, because a lot of the work that we do in, um, in academia is for peer-reviewed journals. So, and, and people do not necessarily get their hands on that information. So I'm really vested in communicating to a broader practitioner audience. Um, so we kind of distilled some of our research into this shortened article across our experiences and kind of going back to our own backgrounds and experiences, we each kind of came at it from a slightly different angle. Um, and Dr. Vanesh was focusing on the elementary side and I was focusing on the secondary side. So it seemed like a natural fit to kind of come together, share some of the things that we'd been experiencing and seeing across various case studies that we'd worked on, and then sharing it more publicly with practitioner audience. That's great. So as a self, well, not self-professed, I mean, in reality, I was a teacher for 17 years, a high school teacher. Um, and I spent some time at the Harvard Graduate School of Ed Education just three years ago, pursuing a second master's degree. I was immersed in academia and research at the time. And a common frustration for me was always, um, let's bridge the gap between research and practice. So I think it's great. And I'm seeing more of that, which, which I think is wonderful. But I think it's great that you're really trying to get this information out into the hands of the people who are actually um, making changes on the ground. And I really wanted to, uh, may I add? <laughs> of course, yeah. Um, um, I also really wanted to start um, getting this idea out about teachers as professionals, because there is, there is a lot of backlash, um, particularly in the United States, um, 
about about how teachers um, that that idea that um, that teachers they're important, but we don't really have to support them, or we just have to give give them policies without really thinking about teachers as well as policymakers themselves, but as experts in in their fields, and so. Um, this article also was a way to communicate that message of look at the wealth of knowledge and experience that your teachers have and they may have that that you might not have as an administrator and how are you going to um, tap into that yeah thanks dr. Vonesh I'm glad you added that uh, I think you know that's a key element of the article which we'll get into in, in just a second um, but the idea of empowering teachers and giving them uh, a platform and the opportunity to become leaders. Um, something that, that again, like in my experience as a teacher, I, I felt that it was difficult for me to attain that for a variety of reasons. So I want to dive into that article a little bit. Um, and you, you, you discuss a range of promising strategies for maximizing impact on English language learners. Some of the things that, that I took out of it were uh, obtaining endorsements, PSYOP training, which we hear a lot about, instructional coaching models, and, and a lot more. Um, Dr. Vonesh, have you found that some strategies have been more successful than others for whatever reason? Yes. I, the instructional coaching piece is really, really important. And um, that instructional coaching can be one-on-one -on -one with teachers or it can be um, with grade-level teams. And actually, currently in the work that I'm doing with teachers is that grade-level teams are really um, working with grade-level working with grade-level teams is is pretty impactful because um, you have a collective or a team to think about, okay, what are some, some problems of practice or things that are occurring that we need to address and how can we put our brains together and think about how to solve them. Um, the other thing is um, instructional coaching is also part of that, um, the idea of job embedded professional development. So as opposed to go having these um, just these one-shot little workshops here and there of, oh, how do we um, how do um, we meet the needs of our ELL students? That the the work that you're doing and that teachers are doing and learning um, is um, embedded in the work that they're doing in their classrooms with kids. Yeah, that's great. I, I will take sort of two pieces out of that as well. One is that um, you mentioned earlier the idea of having a team around you. As a teacher, um, I, I frequently, and I know I speak for many, I felt siloed. And when I came to work for Elevation two years ago, uh, you know, I'm trying to do things in silos and people around me are saying, hey, like we have a team, like you can, you can run this stuff by others, you can take a leadership role. And so I noticed that right away. So I'm glad that that work um, is, is being done. And the other um, piece that that I think is important, you mentioned the the grade level teams as well, and and job embedded PD, something that here um, in in our work now we're really focused on as we tr try to train um, our our partners on how to use our tools. It's not just about okay, we're going to give you a one off training to use tools. It's more about how can what we have you know support you, and how can we create models as an outside organization that blend into the school's current processes. And I can tell you that it's important work, um, but I'm sure you know that it's also very challenging work as well. Yeah, I, you know, for me, I, when I think about professional development um, that's effective is that it's, it's a mix of different structures. 
So um, even though I just said, you know, workshops are one time workshops don't work. Um, there is a place for a workshop, but it has to be part of a system of professional development. So you may need a workshop to build knowledge, to create some space to think about a particular um, problem or issue, but then you need to follow that up with instruct regular instructional coaching, regular um, team meetings, or uh, some work I'm doing right now with um, studio days or lesson study with teachers. Um, during the school day and teaching their kids. Um, so it, it really needs to be part of a whole system and vision. And I know um, we'll probably talk about that later, but um, rather than nitpicking, oh, this form of professional development is more than, uh, is worth more than this one, it's, um, there really needs to be, it really needs to be thought of as a comprehensive system. Absolutely. So Dr. Russell, I'm going to shift over to you um, just to talk a little bit about um, the idea of teachers leading the way. So one mm -hmm. of the things that you mentioned in that article is that however schools go about uh, training um, their staff to work with English language learners, the teachers themselves need to be the ones leading the way. So I'm curious if this is the case, how do schools go about identifying and supporting the teachers who are capable of leading? Sure. And before I even jump into teachers leading the way, I think they need to be um, set up to lead the way. So um, yes. <laughs> uh, administrative support is crucial. So the principal and the school district needs to be in a place where there's some urgency around meeting the needs of English language learners. There needs to be some vision setting about how are we going to go about this work, kind of going back to what Dr. Von Esch was talking about in terms of a system for professional learning, professional development. So what's coming in the contextual environment for the school and then the teachers who are then able to lead the way with their colleagues, right? So it's this, um, system within a system of how are we going to get to that point where our teachers who are experts in language are English language learner teachers, how can they then be the teacher leaders in their buildings who are respected and are valued as both teachers and teacher leaders amongst their colleagues. Um, and so once you have that kind of piece set up and established, then you can kind of get into the meat of the instructional coaching piece or the peer coaching, peer support, um, that Dr. Von Esch was um, talking a little bit about, um, and then drawing on that expertise that those language experts possess and have available to them to then be the advocates that they are trained to be for their English learners and their families and the community. So that's kind of how I see that process. Um, yeah. Great. So school leadership, vision, mission, really being um, at the foundation of that. I'll mention that we did uh, released a podcast episode recently with uh, the founder of a school called Excellency Academy. They're starting 2018, 2019 with, um, with, with pre-K and K. And uh, Ruben Alonso, the founder of that school, talked you know, passionately about the importance of setting that vision and creating the supports that, that teachers need to work with these English language learners, including having four weeks of professional development before the school year mm. even starts. Um, yeah, four weeks. That's yeah, great. yeah, it's it's, <laughs> it's quite a model. So you know, uh, I want to concentrate on what we're talking about today, but that's out there if people are interested in exploring it more. But Dr. Von Esch, I, I, and this is kind of I think a similar kind of question. Um, uh, Dr. Russell just mentioned the importance of leadership. 
do you have anything to add there about like school culture in general? I mean, I think leadership and vision is a part of the culture, but I've worked in a few districts and I know school culture is so important. So what are the elements um, aside from leadership and vision that you feel are also important? Oh, well, I agree that, um, that school, or excuse me, that vision is very important. So vision, not only from the standpoint of, of um, supporting teachers, but vision in terms of what does equitable education look like for um, English learner students. And from that vision or that focus, then everything else flows. In terms of school culture, um, uh, that's a tough one, <laughs> um, only because um, there's so many elements of school culture, but it, school culture meaning that teacher, getting teachers to realize the importance of their work with English learner students. Um, school culture in terms of um, breaking down those silos that we've been talking about so far um, of the idea of this is my classroom and I do things my way rather than collectively working together to um, solve instructional problems of practice. Um, school culture in terms of really valuing and more than valuing, but um, really thinking of ways to draw upon the linguistic and cultural strengths of the student that the students bring with them and um, how to um, how to integrate them into into the school, into the classroom, into instruction. Um, so um, school culture really encompasses a lot of different elements that would need to be addressed. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, it's, uh, I, I didn't set you up for a great amount of success with that question. I think that <laughs> there's a lot of, but kudos to you. I think you came up with, I mean, a few important ones. And I love it that you mentioned basically the asset-based nature of what do these students bring to the table and having a culture that looks at these students as assets rather than um, challenges, right? Um, and integrating them together. And so to complicate this even further, a lot of the work being done with English language learners relies heavily on co-teaching models. So Dr. Russell, I'd love to hear your perspective on how can teacher leaders and school administrators support the work of co-teaching? Yeah, I was listening to Carrie's response to the school culture question and I kept thinking in my head, here in New York, there is a widespread model of co-teaching between the general education and they call them English as new language teachers here. And there is no option for an endorsement here in New York. So you have to be a certified, it's a big, it's a certification in its own right. So what you see a lot is um, general education teachers, many of whom um, came to be teachers 20 years ago or, or more, and they never had a opportunities to take classes on language. Um, and so they're then being asked to co-teach and that school culture piece and the vision piece isn't necessarily setting those co-teaching pairs up for success. Um, so I think that going back to the idea of how do you set the stage for the year and is there going to be professional development to talk about, okay, this is your co-teaching partner. Do you have time to talk? And plan is there any sort of setting the stage of how this should look and how we're going to go into the year together knowing we have um, fifth and sixth period every day where the ELL teacher will be in the science classroom um, 
my understanding is there's not always a lot of time to plan or talk. And often the um, ELL teacher is on a schedule where they're supporting many different content areas and across their day, they're being asked to do a lot of different things. So I think it's a tricky thing, but there are a lot of resources out there and there's a lot of support for thinking about how to implement the co-teaching model kind of a, here in New York anyway, definitely kind of following the special education inclusion model where special education teachers are doing a lot more pushing in and being in the general education classroom. And just to add to what Dr. Russell is talking about, Minneapolis and St. Paul school districts um, have, um, have had really great success with, um, with co-teaching between ELL teachers and mainstream classroom teachers. And um, so I would encourage any of the listeners who are interested in co-teaching model to go check out the resources. You can look on their website and check out the work that they're doing. Yeah, thanks for adding that. That was a challenge um, for me as a teacher. Not, not, not that I didn't love working with people, but oftentimes it would be like, okay. And for me, it was mostly for special education purposes, but somebody would come in and, hey, I'm the co-teacher in the course. Well, we really never had a conversation. We didn't really have a rapport or anything to speak of. So that's that's a good transition, just thinking about that co-teaching along with, with, with you know, coursework or preparation for English language learners to talk about um, the, the, the role of pre-service and preparation. You both um, are working with, uh, with people who are, who are going to be in the classroom. So, uh, you know, it'd be a missed opportunity if we didn't talk about this. So uh, we'll start with Dr. Von Esch. How does teacher pre-service and preparation play into this? Oh, it's essential. Um, having that foundation of understanding both the um, culture-sustaining pedagogy piece, so really knowing how to um, validate and address the cultural linguistic or uh, cultural and linguistic diversity of your students, understanding how um, students learn um, another language, understanding the language of your discipline, having that foundation is really key. Great. Dr. Russell, do you have anything to add to that? Sure. So um, I've worked in both teacher preparation programs for uh, teacher, pre-service teachers who will be English language learner specialist teachers, as well as general education teachers. And I will say often it seems to me that, well, in that program, there was more space to build in this. You are going to become an advocate and an expert in language to kind of, in some ways, it seems like then kind of go and train and work with other general education teachers when you're out in the schools, because that is the role is to be more fluid. You might have um, an English support class for some of your maybe more newcomer students, but you're often out in the schools collaborating and working as a co-teacher in the mainstream classrooms. But in my work with pre-service general education teachers, I've also been really intentional about building in that space to um, get them to also see the urgency and have the vision of equity for their linguistically diverse students. And then going off of what Dr. Vanash was talking about in terms of studio days and getting our candidates out there into the field with general education and English learner teachers together and observing that work that is being done so that it um, normalizes that as something that they can look forward to and expect to, be ha to have to do once they're in the classroom and teaching on their own. Because demographics are changing and they will be in the position 
most likely where they are going to have to navigate that tension of, okay, even if I'm a, I'm a general education teacher, I'm going to have English language learners. So how do I provide equitable support for them in my content area? And I will say that a lot of, um, a lot of teacher preparation programs right now um, do not address the teaching and learning of English language learner students. So it is really important that, um, that this is included in pre-service teacher education. Yeah, yeah. I, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to jump in and say, yes, you know, my position right now, I'm pretty sure um, Dr. Von Ash has worked in similar capacity as I'm working in a program where we are training general education teachers and my, my role is to support the, the language piece for our general education teachers, but it's not required by New York State at this point. There's um, some hints that that might be down the line, but the program I work in deemed it as something that was important enough that they wanted to include it as part of the pre-service preparation program. Yeah, this is, we're getting at some really important points. You know, the idea that there's not necessarily requirements out there. And, and Dr. Russell, I, I, one thing that you said that I, that I want to bring out that I think is really important is, you know, you use the word normalizes um, almost as a way to, and you, I think you also said that so that these students kind of look forward to who they're mm -hmm. going to work with instead of are shocked by, oh my mm -hmm. goodness, how am I going to work with these students? I mean, we do have changing demographics. We have for a long time, and it varies region to region, whether or not it's been something that's ha been happening for the last 20 years or the last 10 years or five years. But regardless, like you mentioned, teachers are going to be in a situation, and I would contend the, uh, the unique and exciting situation of having students from many different cultures. So let's, let's create an asset-based, again, program that gets, uh, gets student, students and pre-service teachers um, to, look, to look forward to that. So... I want to stick with this higher education theme for a while and and talk a little bit more about what's happening between higher education institutions and um, and school districts. And we have an example just down the road from us. We're in Boston and down in the Providence school system, which I've worked with very closely. Um, Roger Williams University is helping to prepare those their teachers through a program uh, that's very cost effective to get them certified to work with English language learners. And it's been, it's been pretty effective for them down there. And the teachers that I've spoken with have been excited about the partnership. Is this something that you're seeing more of? And if so, is, is that, is there a recipe for success there? And Dr. Von Esch, I'll get your um, opinion on that first. I do think that um, university and school partnerships um, and preparing teachers are um, becoming more widespread or at least being thought about more. Um, I've done a lot of work in um, what's called a teacher residency program. I know Boston has one also, um, a well-known one, um, the Boston, Te uh, Boston Teacher Residency Program, and Seattle does too. Um, so I've worked a lot with the um, Seattle Teacher Residency Program. Um, and this is a four-way collaboration between, um, this was when I was at the University of Washington. Um, it's a four-way collaboration between the University of Washington, um, the Seattle, Seattle Public Schools, the Seattle Teachers Union, um, and a nonprofit called the Alliance for Education. And um, that four-way partnership has been pretty successful in um, in preparing teachers um, to work in urban classrooms and with diverse populations. Um, Seattle University, where I currently am, 
we are working on, uh, we are redesigning our teacher education right now um, in collaboration and partnership um, with um, different schools and community members. So um, those partnerships really are very important um, in serving communities and kids. And um, I, it, sometimes it's hard because I, I, sometimes I tend to be in a little bubble out here. <laughs> um, but, but we are competing. Those university um, school partnerships are competing with other alternative routes, um, such as Relay, such as Teach for America, that might not always be interested in those partnerships. Right. There's a lot out there. It's just a matter of kind of choosing the right ones that are effective for the right school. Yes. And, um, but I do think partner partnering is the key. That's kind of, I guess that's kind of the theme of, of today's podcast for me is this idea of, um, of building teams and working together and getting stakeholders, you know, communities and kids and parents should have a say in, um, in what kinds of, uh, thinking about what kinds of teachers we need to um, need to develop and what is going to help kids learn and succeed. Great. So Dr. Russell, I'll shift over to you and kind of change the question a little bit. You can speak to the prior question, I'm sure, with this or, or go in a different direction. But as we start to ramp up here, how would you recommend that schools begin the work of identifying and supporting teacher leaders to maximize impact on English language learners? Like if a school's just listening to this and they're saying, wow, this is something that that, that we really need to kind of do is develop our teacher leaders, what might be the first step? So I think one important step would be to include the general education and the ELL teachers together in whatever initiative is happening. Because one thing I've seen in different districts in different areas of the country that I've had the opportunity to work in is a lot of times the ELL teachers will get the PD, as they call it, right? They'll get the training, they'll get the book or whatever thing is being delivered to that group of teachers during the one in-service day they might have before the school year starts. So one of my recommendations is to think about how to set the stage, and this kind of comes back to leadership at the school and district level, but how is the stage, stage being set for teachers who will all be serving the needs of linguistically and culturally diverse students during that school year. Um, so by including teacher leaders across um, positions. So you might have an EL teacher and the general education content teachers together in that work so that they can turnkey and work with their colleagues on these important initiatives related to meeting the needs of English learners in academic content work, then I think that's a really important place to start. And there's lots of different ways that I think that that can happen. Um, everything from the school university partnerships playing a part, but I was thinking about that I was, as I was hearing um, Dr. Vanesh speak about the models that she's had the opportunity to work in, and a lot of times there's so much siloing between K-12 and higher education, and that's something that I'd like to see shift a little bit so there is more integration across K-12 and across higher education. And I know some state universities in particular are doing a much better job of doing that work together in concert with um, their local school districts. But those are some of the things that I'm thinking about as I see how we can tap into cultivating 
learning communities amongst teacher leaders who have expertise and knowledge about the, their students and the communities and how they want to draw on that teacher expertise to then be an asset within their school. Great. I love the idea of bringing people together and bringing those content teachers in. And I think it's a mistake that, um, that, that, people can make is just um, in some ways just sort of preaching to the choir. And many times the ELL teachers uh, are well aware of what's happening. I think about that frequently with this podcast. You know, I want this to get out to the people who are not sort of cheerleading and super excited about this, but the people who don't really necessarily know um, uh, about what's going on and, 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 and how we can we bring them into the fold. So I'm going to start to wrap up here. So two more basic questions. This next question tends to be a difficult one for people. I ask it to everyone because uh, I want to share resources. So I'll start with you, Dr. Vanesh. Um, is there a book or other resource that has had an important influence on you personally or professionally uh, when thinking about this work? I really like the work of, for teachers. I really like the work of um, Jeff Zwires. He has um, a couple books on what he calls constructive conversations. And it, constructive conversations, uh, Jeff Wires is from Stanford University, and he, his work really um, focuses on how to support kids in having those academic conversations. What are the um, things like clarifying, building an idea, um, um, defending an opinion, um, so he has developed a whole bunch of resources for teachers that are really, um, that are really powerful and really helpful. So, um, and one reason for that is because, um, we as teachers, sometimes we tend to like to talk a lot <laughs> at our students and this, um, this work really focuses on getting kids to do the heavy lifting of the thinking and the heavy lifting of the, um, academic discussion, which supports their, um, their oral language development and their academic learning. So definitely check out his work. I am also on the cultural side. Um, uh, Dr. Paris's work from the University of Washington, his work on, um, he's really pushing um, that idea of culturally responsive teaching that we are all familiar with, in, uh, but really thinking about it as culturally sustaining pedagogy. So um, he has, he also has um, a couple books up for teachers. So I would definitely check out um, those resources as well. Great. Dr. Russell, I want to give you an opportunity as well. Sure. I, I agree. Both of those resources are excellent that Carrie mentioned and kind of um, going in the other direction as far as like teacher supports and scaffolds for teachers to do their work. I really find Andrea Honigsfeld and Maria Dove's work really helpful for the nuts and bolts in thinking about how to do co-teaching. Um, in their collaboration and co-teaching book, you will find actual graphic organizers and supports that you can bring to your co-teacher to say, hey, let's look at this checklist. What will you do? What will I do? And kind of laying out their plans, how they can plan together and think about um, supporting English learners in their classrooms together. So I think those are some really great resources. They have several different books out. And then also as a teacher educator and to share with practicing teachers and leaders, there's a really great video series that City University of New York put out called the New York State Initiative on Emergent Bilinguals. And the video series is several different clips about how to teach bilinguals even if you aren't one, because that is a question I get from my 
teacher candidates often. Um, and there's some great videos in there about how to support the cultural strengths and assets of students and how to engage in translanguaging in the classroom with your students, even if you don't speak the language that they bring. So um, there's some really helpful kind of vignettes and visuals of how teachers are doing that in schools around New York State. Can I add one more? Yeah, go ahead. That, um, Dr. Russell, just uh, her talk about the translanguaging work reminded me of, um, is that in general, if you look on the teaching channel, um, the teaching channel um, is a website, I think it's teachingchannel.org. Um, they have a lot of great videos, not just for um, teaching emergent bilingual students, but for, um, for a wide range of things. And so I will often use those um, different videos um, in my own, when I'm uh, in my own teaching of my own teacher candidates. So um, that's another very, very helpful resource because you can actually see the teaching and you can actually um, learn from other teachers. Yeah, see, seeing that is so important. And, and, you know, frankly, one of the reasons I asked this question is purely selfish is so that I can see what I can read next, but hopefully it helps others. And I just, I just jotted a few down. We'll include all of those in the show notes. A, a couple of notes there. First of all, um, Dr. Russell, when you mentioned how to teach bilinguals, if you're not one, that's a whole other podcast episode so <laughs> thank you for that. We'll, we'll, we'll try to, we'll try to um, answer some of those questions with somebody who knows more about that than I do. Um, and, uh, I think, um, Dr. Vanesh, you mentioned Jeff Swears, who is actually a member of our advisory board. So I've worked with him. Oh, go, fabulous. Yeah. And if you go to a, our website, um, under the community section, I'll link this as well, but there, we have, we have a conversation with him about a webinar with him about, um, academic conversations. So you're right. His, oh, work, perfect. <laughs> his perfect. work is wonderful. Um, so last question I'd like to find, I'd like to, um, give people an idea of how they can find out more about the work that you both are doing. I'm going to link the article that I've referenced a few times, um, on the show notes so people can see that, but are there other ways that you'd like to, um, tell people how, how they might learn more about what you're doing? Um, I'll jump in and say that we can include this in the show notes, but I have a research gate page that I keep fairly updated and there are links to publications and other research that I've been a part of. So um, if you're interested in the academic side of things, that's where a lot of those references would live. And I, um, I know I sound kind of ancient here, but my, <laughs> um, the best way to reach, the best way would be to reach out to me personally um, via my email. So um, that's Vonesh, V-O-N-E-S-C-H-K at seattleu.edu. Oh, and feel free to email me too. I guess that will go in the show notes as well. And I will put that information in there as long as it's okay with you all. And I, you know, uh, Dr. Vonesh, and, and it, it may be archaic, but it is the purest form of getting in touch and reaching out with people. So I love it when people um, encourage others to, to reach out and collaborate. I think that's how the true collaboration happens. Yeah, I really enjoy, I really enjoy um, hearing from different people. So, um, and I'm fairly quick with email, so I'm always happy to, to chat. Yeah, and I would like to hear what others are thinking about in terms of this topic um, and other examples of initiatives that are working really well around the country. It would be fantastic. Perfect. Well, with that, I just want to thank both of you so much for taking the time to speak with us. Um, hopefully we can keep in touch and maybe connect uh, more in the future about what, uh, what, you're, what you're up to. Thank you so much. And thank you for having us. This has been a pleasure.
Yes, thanks. This has been great. Thanks for listening to Highest Aspirations. If you liked our show, please be sure to join the ELL community at elevationeducation.com slash ELL community, where you'll find all the episodes of Highest Aspirations and other resources to help educators maximize the impact on their English language learners. Also, let us know how we're doing by writing a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts.